Now we're starting on to uh, a new series for the fall of the verse that changed my life. And Ben alluded to it earlier. Uh, We're talking about uh, passages of Scripture, not just one specific verse per se, but passages of Scripture that have actually shaped and formed us, that have been uh, paramount in discovering who the Lord is, helping us figure out our lives, understanding our position before God, uh, and the like. And, and so we're digging into this sermon series, and you're going to get a chance to hear from and learn a bit about uh, some of the different pastors and preaching staff here at New Life as, as they have opportunity to come up and share about these specific verses that have been transformative. Now, of course, the entire Bible is tra- transformative, absolutely. The entire Bible, Bible is usable for teaching and reproof. The entire Bible is uh, our instruction book that we have before we pass on into eternity. Uh, but there are these special ones, special verses, special passages that sort of stick out. And each person has something different. And that's the incredible part about the fact that the Bible is alive. It is a living book. It is a living text. And it is applicable to us in different seasons of life. And the same passage that might have been applicable when we were 12 years old uh, might also be applicable when we're 112 years old, but then also it can change, which is pretty amazing. And it might have different meaning or depth to it as we go through life and as we learn and grow. And the amazing thing is that it is through the scriptures that we experience the revelatory power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to us these mysteries that we find in the scriptures. So I want to encourage you this morning, as you're on your faith journey, whether you're at the very beginning or nearing the end of it, I want to encourage you this morning, never give up on reading the text, reading the scripture. Why? Well, because it is a beautiful packaging of wisdom that God has given us. And and if you come into contact with things in the scriptures that are challenging to you or chafing to you or you just don't understand, I encourage you, make a note of it. Put it on a shelf and wait for the Lord to reveal it to you as time goes on. Uh, Because in his wisdom, there are portions of scripture that may not be applicable for you in the moment you're in right now, but it will apply to you at some point in your life. And it's really beautiful to be able to go on the journey of discovering the scriptures when the Holy Spirit begins to reveal these things to you. So... I'm starting it off, it's my turn, and we are going to dig into uh, one of the texts that has been uh, informative and transformative for me in my life. Uh, But before we do that, I have a little uh, thing to read to you. So in 1861, a wild gambler and crazy drinker named Harry Morehouse rushed into a revival meeting in Manchester, England, looking for a fight. Now, you need to understand, this was a common practice. There was a revival that was going on in England in the mid to late 1800s. A revival was breaking out in the streets, in churches, in pubs, in bars, in in all these different places. And folks were so chafed at the idea that maybe change was going to be happening and conviction would occur in their hearts that they just got drunk and fought about it. There's so many wild stories about these things going on in England. It was crazy uh, back then. And this was not an uncommon circumstance. So we got Harry Morehouse. He's drunk and all fired up and ready to have a fight with the revival pastor at this meeting. But instead, he went in there to fight. He actually got saved. And six years later, the famous evangelist D.L. Moody was preaching in Dublin when Morehouse came up and told Moody that he would like to go to the States and preach the gospel. 
Now, Moody guessed that Morehouse was probably around 17 years old at this time, and he didn't know if Morehouse could preach, and so he just brushed him off. Now, we've all done this, right? We see somebody that's younger than us that's all full of tea and vinegar, and they're excited. They're excited for the gospel. God has changed their lives. The transformation has occurred. By the way, this guy's 17 years old, and he's just blitzed, and he's fighting Christians, uh, and then God saves him. Praise the Lord. That is great. Uh, he, he meets us where we are at. So, you know, he gets brushed off by Moody. Moody's like, nah, this kid's young. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know if he can preach. Maybe it's going to make me look bad. Not interested. So Moody hops on a plane or on a boat, I guess, uh, and goes back. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and goes, <clears throat> yeah, it's okay. We'll get there. Uh, and goes back to the States. So when Moody got back to Chicago, he got a letter from Morehouse. Again, 17-year-old writing a letter. Tenacity. This guy's on it. Uh, he writes a letter and uh, gets this letter from Morehouse saying that he had landed in New York and he wants to come and preach. And Moody wrote a cold reply saying that if he came west to call on him, and a few days later, Moody got a letter saying that Morehouse would be in Chicago next Thursday. Moody didn't know what to do with him. And so he told his deacons, look, there's this guy coming from England who wants to preach. I'm going to be gone Thursday and Friday, and if you let him preach those days, I'll be back Saturday and Sunday, and I'll take him off your hands. So on Saturday, Moody returned and asked his wife how the young Englishman had gotten along. Did the people like him? And she said that they did like him very much. Did you like him? He asked his wife. Yes, she said, very much. He preached two sermons from John 3.16, and I think that you'll like him. But he preaches a little different than you. How is that? Moody asked. Well, his wife said, he, he tells sinners that God loves them. Well, Moody said, he's wrong. Moody went to hear him that night, determined in advance that he would not like a thing he was going to say. But the first night, as Morehouse preached again from John 3.16 on God's great love for sinners, Moody's heart began to thaw, and he could not hold back the tears. And for seven nights, Morehouse preached to a crowded church about John 3.16. The final night... Morehouse concluded his sermon by saying, My friends, for a whole week I've been trying to tell you how much God loves you, but I cannot do it with this poor, stammering tongue. If I could borrow Jacob's ladder and climb up into heaven and ask Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Almighty, if he could tell me how much love the Father has for the world, all he could say would be, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those sermons changed D.L. Moody's life. And he said, after meeting Morehouse and hearing the gospel message, I have never forgotten those nights and I have preached a different gospel since. With that introduction, you might think that I'm preaching about John 3.16. And although John 3.16 uh, is a, a formative passage of the Bible that has affected me greatly. I'm not preaching on John 3.16 this morning. But I am preaching on a verse that has, that has and will continue to shape the truth of God's love for me. And it's something that has, the moment that I heard it, 
change the trajectory of my life. So let's read, we're going to read Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11 together this morning from the ESV. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings as well, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person might, one might dare to end his life. But God shows love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the death of his son. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The passage of that that sticks out, the verse that has affected me deeply and richly is Romans 5.8. And it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The way that I take that passage is this, and you can write it down in your notes. He loved me at my darkest. He loved me at my darkest. In my most detestable state, God made a way for me to be repaired. And if he didn't, I couldn't. If he didn't, I couldn't. Think about this for your own situations, for your own lives, in your own state. It's challenging sometimes to take a sober look at the reality of our hearts and our lives. We don't like to do it very often. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We really like to, we find comfort and it's easy for us to point the fingers, but when we have to be introspective on the state of our lives, it's by human nature very challenging for us to look at the reality that perhaps we have fallen desperately short of God's glory. And we can all think of the people that we wish were here listening to the message because this is certainly for them, but heaven forbid we consider that this could actually be for us. It's difficult to look at the reality of the state of our hearts, our lives, and our souls before God. It's hard to. In fact, one of the toughest journeys to go on because it will actually kill the self in you 
The toughest journeys to go on is to say, Lord, how have I sinned against you? Boy, it's a challenging thing to consider. God, how have I sinned against you? Now, if you're, you know, really kind of full of yourself and and you're self-assured and self-secure, you might think, well, I'm good. I'm in good standing. I got nothing to worry about. I've done nothing wrong. But when the Lord pours humility out inside of your heart and you begin to process and reflect upon the state of your life, you really have to come face to face with the reality that maybe we've stepped far outside of what God's perfect intentions are for not just my life, but for my day to day or my moment by moment. And when you think about that, you have to start processing what have things looked like in your life. How have I wronged God? What things have I done that have been outside of his perfect plan? Have I skipped out on some of the Ten Commandments? Uh, Do I have the fruit of the Spirit operating in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Well, sometimes, maybe, when it's easy. But sometimes not when it's not easy. You've been stuck in traffic before. You know when Columbia Avenue is under construction and you're sitting in there and it should only take you five minutes to get home, but now it takes you seven minutes to get home. And it's an absolute travesty. (laughs) Come on. It's nothing, right? Like most of you moved here from like the big city and you get a year in and you're like, this traffic is terrible. And you totally forget what living in Vancouver is like, right? Like, oh, this is is unjust. And you're writing letters to the mayor. I don't know who she is, but anyway... And, uh, and then I get to hear about it, right? It's like, hey, so-and-so's writing a letter. They anyway, so that's not how it works. Yes, it is. And, 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 you know, so you're stuck in traffic, and then the flagger's there, and they're not paying attention. You're getting mad at the flagger because it's supposed to be your turn to go, but then the person on the other side ended up coming, and the flagger's just chewing gum and looking on her cell phone, and, and now you're getting all frustrated and riled up. And then the poor person at the checkout at the grocery store that you finally made it to after your 38-second delay is going to hear all about it, and you're going to take it all out on them. And did they deserve any of it? No. Of course they didn't. Poor Julia at the checkout at Extra Foods. It's not a real person. Did not deserve everything that she had come into her after I got stuck in traffic for 38 seconds. But then go go deeper, right? How have you treated the folks that you're sharing office space with? How have you treated your spouse my goodness, Marie and I get into it all the time. Praise the Lord, we fight well to the glory of God. <laughs> She's laughing. And, but then you, like, you take a step back and you're like, what was I even doing? What spirit came upon me as I was you know, cordially discussing life with my wife? It wasn't a good one and it was not the spirit of the Lord, let me tell you what. And then let's dig a little bit deeper. You know, What goes on in your mind? How do you think about others? How do you perceive them? How do you let them take up space in your mind? What curses are you muttering about somebody else under your breath? How could they have done this to me? What were they even thinking? They have no right to treat me like that. I know how they're talking about me behind my back. And then you smile and you're pleasant with them at church because that's what you're supposed to do. Otherwise, the pastor is going to get mad at you. But then you leave from the space and you just continue those thoughts in your head about how you think about another person. How you think about another member of God's creation. How you think about someone 
that really, in the grand scheme of eternity, has done far less to you than you've ever done to the Lord. We're in a bit of a wretched state, us people. We're often very self-deceived, wildly and incredibly self-righteous most of the time. Everybody else has made the wrong decision and does the wrong thing, except for us, of course. And we can say all the prayers and quote all the right scriptures to justify our positions, but all of those things lack a heart of humility of going before God and saying, God, how have I sinned against you? How have I sinned against you? And if you want a really fun experiment and ruin the rest of your entire week, go home today in the evening when you're, you've got some quiet space and sincerely ask the Lord, Lord, how have I sinned against you? And just allow him to begin revealing that to you. It will be wildly depressing for a solid week. And then you have to process it. And then this verse maybe will make a lot of sense to you. In spite of our state of disrepair and in spite of the fact that we have gone out of our way, knowingly or unknowingly, to move far outside of God's commands and promise and perfection for us, in spite of all of that, he continues to have this weird and bizarre grace for us that he meets us exactly where we are at, yet he refuses to leave us there. It's wild, isn't it? How can we possibly get better if we first do not have help stepping into the midst of our chaos. How can we? It's just not possible to be okay one day unless first the helper steps right into the midst of the utter mess that we find ourselves in. Who here's had children before? Yeah, okay, some of you guys. Who here's changed a diaper before? Oh, hallelujah. I, I tried to avoid changing diapers. Three. I think I changed three diapers. But here's the deal. The baby's not going to go and remedy itself from the mess that it finds itself stewing in. Just conjure up that smell in your mind for a moment. <laughs> you know what? The other one that's really wild is when they attempt to fix it on their own, but they end up just getting covered in it. And not only do they get covered in it, like war paint, all over their bodies, but then it just goes in all the nooks and crannies of their crib, and all over their wall like a beautiful collage to present to you, inside their ears, in the cracks of their eyes. It doesn't make any sense why any creature would do anything like this. But babies do. And then the only way to fix this situation is you have to get into the middle of it and get it all over yourself, take it upon you so that they can be clean again. We are babies. God is our loving Father. And he made a way for us to be cleaned. And as disgusting and vile as a poo-covered baby really is, (laughs) 
when it's little and young and still growing and incapable, it needs intervention. And out of love, the parent comes in and administers the help. We are those babies. But take it a step further. Maybe we're not just covered in poo, but we're steeped in addiction. Or we have the mess of mental health challenges that push people away. Or make us appear to be untouchable or unlikable or unknowable because of how we react or interact. Maybe it's the mess that we've got on us, that smell that we have on us from what we were raised with, the things that we've gone through in life. Whether it was from when we were born and young out of neglect and a lack of care, perhaps it came from abuse, and, and that further in life affects how we interact with and care for other people. Maybe it comes from just a sheer lack of unknowing that there could be a different way to go through life or a, a different way to process hurt or pain. Maybe we've never dealt with our anger issues and we're able to hold it together right until about here, but the moment we go to here, it's explosive and dangerous and vile. And we say things that, are, that penetrate to the souls of people that so ruin and destroy them that they never want to be around us again. And then we expect them to continue interacting with us like we're just regular folks, not knowing the damage that we've caused. This is all of us. This is me. We've all gone through this. Maybe we're going through this right now. Perhaps this is hitting home very deeply for some of us this morning. But I want you to know today that when we go through these challenging topics and we are forced to flip the mirror around and look at the reality of our situations I'm not walking us through this to cause suffering and sorrow and grief and frustration. Like, I never want to go to that church again. They just make me feel terrible. That's not the point. The point is, is we're dirty babies that need to be cleaned up. And what's really amazing is the only way that I know that that can be repaired and fixed on an internal and spiritual level is from the work of Christ. It's the only way that it can be done because there actually has to be not a changing of the diaper. There has to be a changing of the heart. There has to be a changing of the mechanisms that are in our soul. There has to be a healing deeply and internally from the very things that thought they could define us for forever. What has to occur is Jesus needs to be allowed into the midst of the most horrible mess that we've found ourselves in, and he has to get into our intimate spaces and clean us up so that we can be presented without spot or blemish. I have found myself in this position many times through life. And to say that that's not true would just be a lie. I know sometimes we're, as pastors, we're expected to just, you know, make sure we got it all together and look a certain way and make, you know, have it all sorted. That's just not how we do things. Reality is, is 
as much as everybody else has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so have I. I'm not immune from that. And what I see in this scripture and how it got a hold of me a long time ago is I was in the middle of running from God the most incredible race that I've ever run in my entire life, and it was exactly the other direction that I should have been going. Far, far, far from what the Lord had intended for me, and I was running with every bit of energy that I could possibly muster. And what's interesting is I was too hurt and too broken in that moment to recognize my contributions to the mess that I had found myself in. It was really easy. Like, you know how it is when, you, when you're trying to help an animal that's been hurt or injured, and you know that you're able to fix it and repair it and get it the help it needs, but it just bites at you and lashes out and, and snarls at you and, and chews away, and you're just like, oh, man, this is tough. And, and that was me with God. I was way too much of a mess to even recognize the depth of help that I needed, and I was ready to chew the face off of anything that would try to get in my space and help. It takes a tough person to get into the middle of that. Well, the person that got into the middle of that was the Lord. While I was running far from him and I decided that he was just a figment of many people's imaginations, and the Bible was a fantastic story written by a lot of really intelligent men, but effectively just corroborated and brought all together for the sake of selling some things and making some money and controlling people. I'm not going to get into how I used to think about religion and the Bible, but it wasn't good. And I was fighting and I was angry and my soul was depraved and ruined, but I thought that the best solution for all of that was to run far away from the very imaginary God that the world was, that the Christian world was portraying to me and figure it out on my own. And, and in my own delusion, I had believed that the best path forward was to have nothing to do with any type of organized faith or religion. I hated the idea that help could come from something beyond myself. And so I ran. I ran far from the Lord, and I wanted nothing to do with him. And in the midst of my mess, in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my vile heart, in the midst of my fighting and backlash and rebellion and anger, in the midst of my seething hate towards church people, towards pastors, towards religious leaders, towards the Bible, in the midst of my frustration and pain, God saw it fit to meet me exactly where I was at on the streets in Vancouver. And in that moment, in a very intimate way, God reached out beyond time and space and spoke to me through a person. And at that point on, the rest of my life began to change. It, it was that tipping point of my life where I could no longer refute any of the things that I found challenging in the scripture. They might be challenging to me and they might be frustrating to me, but I had to come face to face with the reality that 
my creator knew enough about me and cared enough about me to meet me exactly where I was at. But he also loved me enough to not just be a parent that peeks into the room and sees the mess their kids created and like, nah, I'm good, and and I'm going to go for coffee and leave. What he did is he came in to the midst of my mess, and he began to restore and heal my brokenness. Now, it wasn't, wasn't all done in one shot because I kept messing the bed. And he kept cleaning me up. And I kept messing the bed again, and he kept cleaning me up. His love for me was far greater than the circumstances that I constantly found myself in. His love for me was bigger than the questions I had about him or of him. His love for me was greater than my anger and rebellion. His love for me was far grander than my hurt and my pain. His love for me was way bigger than my immaturity. His love for me got into the middle of my pride and began stripping that away so I had nothing left of my own to stand on. His love for me was so great that he reduced me to nothing so that he could begin building me up with a firm foundation rooted in him. Now, on this side of the grave, there are things that I will always wrestle with. It is the reality of living on this earth in a fallen world. There are things that we will always experience as challenges There are things that will always chafe us and be a struggle for us. That is the truth. But in God's incredible grace and his mercy, he meets us in the middle of that, and as a good father, he endeavors to teach us a better way. He endeavors to teach us not just a better way, but the right way. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved me at my darkest. So how has that shaped me? It began to change me because I realized that he was not scared of me. He was not scared of my big questions. He wasn't scared of my cynicism towards the faith and the Bible. He wasn't scared of my unbelief. In fact, he helped me with my unbelief, which I later learned is something that is in the scriptures that he helps us with our unbelief. He took my very, very crooked and crazy path and began to straighten it out. Why? Because my focus changed from this, 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 and this to him. Is it always there? Sometimes I'm in the weeds. But as I've grown and he's worked in me and he's been gracious, it comes back on track a little quicker than it used to. Our hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our hope that we have heavenward, is secure because it is based upon this powerful love of God 
and not upon our own works or our own merit. If it was based upon what we could bring to the table, it would be utter calamity. God's love isn't based on us getting our act together. I couldn't get my act together. Probably for a season, if I felt that someone was angry enough with me, I could change my behavior and do some behavior modification for a period of time. But would it last? No. Why? Because my nature is sinful. Our nature is sinful. So how does that transform and change? Well, we have to have a renewing of our mind and our spirit and our hearts through Christ Jesus. It cannot come of our own strengths. It's just not possible. God's amazing love that he has for us is also not based upon our track record of performance. If it was based upon our track record of performance, we would always get exactly what we deserve. And thankfully, we get far more than we ever deserved. We have life. And we have hope. We have healing and restoration and reconciliation because of the work of Jesus. Worship team, I'll call you up. Our hope in heaven is secure, thankfully, because it's not based on us. It is based upon this transcendent and powerful love that comes from, from God through Jesus. And it's true. While you are in the midst, in the depths of the garbage and filth that you have created for yourself or you've allowed into your life and into your circumstances, God loves you enough to get into the middle of it and begin healing and restoring ministering to those areas of your life that have been hurting and broken for a long time. What Paul emphasizes here in this text and in the entirety of what we see in Romans 5, 1 through 11 is he capitalizes on the fact that we were helpless. We were sinners and we were enemies of God. It's true. But the hope that I want to share with you today, and it's the very hope that I carry with me every day, is that hope in Jesus. And that hope in Jesus not only informs how I can then interact with my Creator. I'm not on this journey of trying to just do the right thing so maybe He'll like me. He already loved me before I ever did any right thing. That's pretty powerful. But then here's the other piece. He already loved everybody else around us before they ever did the right thing. It sort of levels the playing field, right? Whether you're 38 seconds late in traffic because the traffic lady wasn't paying attention or life went super sideways because of marital challenges. 
or work has been a total disaster and you're being reprimanded and it's affecting your identity and you don't know what to do with yourself. Maybe you're going through a midlife crisis and you don't know what up from down is at the moment and you're making all the exact poor decisions that you know you absolutely should not be making. God's love isn't an excuse to carry on destroying our lives. God's love is the remedy that repairs and mends us from the destruction we've already made. And he loves you and me so greatly that he made a way, he made the way for us to be in good standing before him. And we celebrated it this morning through communion. As Jesus went to the cross and as people were murdering him and killing him and stripping him from his clothes and his dignity, as people were taking bets on him and shouting horrible things towards him, he didn't react the way that we always react. He didn't react by going and wanting to just get in a drunken fight with everybody. He didn't react by going and shoving more drugs up his nose to try to make it all go away. He didn't react by going and finding a new person to sleep with to try to fill a hole in his life. He didn't react by hurling insults and swearing and yelling at them behind the cover of the windshield. He didn't react by thinking horrible thoughts, murderous and death-filled thoughts towards people that had, insult, had insulted him? How did he react? He reacted in the midst of his pain that he was feeling by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's how Jesus sees you. And in the midst of whatever you find yourself in today, Christ is not a stranger to your circumstances. And as he looks upon you, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as I reflect upon Romans 5.8, he loved me at my darkest. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I can never possess that level of love or care for another person in the world. In fact, it's not natural, but what it is, is super natural. And it's that very love that God has for us that meets us right in the middle of where we are at. And if we're okay to say yes to going on the journey with him, will never leave you where he found you. Church, why don't you stand up this morning? And we're going to pray and we're going to close in worship. And I want to challenge, maybe you're a sucker for punishment and if you are, praise the Lord, you're going to love this task. And if you're scared of it because you're 
at a point in life where you're very sensitive and you're not sure if you can handle any more challenges, well, God will never bring you to that place of ruining you unless you're ready for it. I encourage you to do this, whether it's here or whether it's later today or whether it's sometime this week when you're finally willing to take a shot at it. I encourage you to pray this simple prayer, Lord, how have I sinned against you? And stuff's going to start coming to your mind. And there's going to be those things that come up and you're like, nah, I'm good. No, that's not real. I just ate something weird for lunch. No, 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 no. I was totally justified in how I reacted in that situation. No, no, no. Ask God. God, how have I sinned against you? Nobody else is pointing the finger at you in that moment except for your creator. And I think he's got the right to. Ask that question, God, how have I sinned against you? And it'll start coming up. Maybe it'll be a few things. Maybe it'll be a lot. Deal with them. See them. Recognize them. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know what's beautiful? Is the spiritual debt that you carry upon your shoulders that weighs you down every single day can actually be alleviated by that simple phrase of repentance, God, I am sorry, forgive me. And that weight that you were never intended to bear is borne upon that cross by Jesus himself so that you don't have to be crushed by it anymore. The only thing that's going to get stung in the process is your pride. And pride is poop. And you don't want your heart full of poop. He's not a stranger to you and he's not scared of you. If he was, he wouldn't have died for you while you were still a sinner. I hope as you process this, this simple passage, he loved me at my darkest, I hope as you process this, the implications of this begin running deep into your soul. And you invite Jesus into the midst of what's going on so he can begin cleaning the mess that you've made for yourself. He can begin restoring you and fixing you up in a way that you never could on your own. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us your word to cut deep into our hearts and deal with the state of our situations. I thank you that you love us so much that you made a way for us to know you through your son, Jesus. I thank you so much that you saw our condition and you created an opportunity for us to be saved from the mess. I thank you that you are our father and we are your kids and you know better than us. So teach us, Lord, to walk in your will and your way. Teach us to walk in your truth and in your righteousness. Teach us to be a people that not only love and honor, revere you, but are also able to be conduits of that love to others in our community. So that through your strength, your power, and your might, we can also go in to these messy situations 
and liberally apply the love of Jesus into the messes that would normally repulse us. Father, go with each person today. Begin a work in their hearts as they contemplate and deal with how it is that you met them in their darkest times. And let this love be the foundation that we stand upon as Christians, as your church in this community. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen.